Hi there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the Internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. All right, is the gloves... Gloves are coming off. The wait's over. Eastern District Congressman Matt Rosendale finally thrown his hat into the ring for Democrat John Tester's Senate seat. That'll set up a pretty hotly contested GOP Senate primary between Rosendale, veteran and business owner Tim Sheehy, and former state official and legislator Brad Johnson. Today, in studio, Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale joins us to discuss the issues facing the country that makes this Senate race all the more critical here in Montana today on Voices of Montana. Congressman Matt Rosendale in studio, Eastern District Congressman, uh, and now, of course, uh, running for for Senate. That was probably the worst-kept secret around. Um, I understand it took some time to to make that decision. Congressman, I I appreciate that, throwing your hat in the ring in this regard. You know, the the Democrats and the mainstream Miss Lydia, they're going to say, oh, it's... And they're already using the language. Oh, it's a chaotic uh, primary. Oh, it's so nasty and dirty. Um, I think it's important that we, we have... Uh, this sort of airing, the Republican Party can stand for a lot of uh, a lot of issues and ideas, and still come back to some of those core principles. I think, which is what founds the party. So uh, here, here's how I look at it. Okay, and this is the discussions I had with my family, and the discussions that I had with people across the state. It, it truly boils down to: Are we going to uh, allow Mitch McConnell to pick the next senator from the state of Montana? And to have this coronation and everybody else is supposed to just part the seas, get out of the way and, and let this happen. Or are we going to uh, allow the people of Montana to have a voice? And, and so, I, look, I thought about this. I thought about this. We saw the letters come out from the uh, Matt Regeer and Jason Ellsworth, the Speaker of the Montana House and the President of the Montana Senate and all the legislators and, and county commissioners and sheriffs. You know, they, they've all been encouraging me to come out and, and take this step. But I needed to, as I said, discuss this with my family and prayerfully consider it. And the Christmas holiday was truly the first time in three years that I've been together with my family for a week uninterrupted to really have this conversation and basically where we landed was we're not just going to sit by and allow Mitch McConnell and the Uniparty to 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 coordinate someone to make this selection to dump all the money into the uh into the race and say that's just how it's going to be the people of Montana need to be able to have their voices heard and and so I I'm I'm the voice for the people let's ask that question then about um the the so-called good of the party um, people would say then, you know, uh, Congressman, uh, why don't you stay in Montana? Uh, I mean, stay in the House. Get some seniority there. Uh, stop hopping around, uh, so to speak. What's, what's your response to that? So I think it's, first of all, if I thought for one moment that the uh, House seat was at risk of, of not maintaining a Republican in there, okay, then, then, then I would stay. I would absolutely stay. But what I also can tell you is that I've worked on – massive pieces of legislation that were in the best interest of the country over the last year since the Republicans took the majority back. We passed H.R. 1, which was the domestic energy legislation. We passed H.R. 2, which was the most comprehensive and conservative 
um, immigration and border security legislation. And I had I had my bills contained in both of those. I had uh, provisions to increase our leasing on public lands where there were oil and gas deposits, you know, located uh, in, in in HR one. In HR two, the Remain in Mexico policy was included, which says that if you're trying to claim asylum status to enter our country, that's fine, but you have to wait in Mexico until you have your hearing. We're not just going to release you into the country. The NDAA, uh, the National Defense Act, to to fund our military, which again we we include the provisions in there to make sure that taxpayers' dollars weren't used for transgender surgeries, taxpayers' dollars weren't used for abortion services, that the United States military could not implement the provisions of the New Green Deal, you know, and climate change that so many people have profited off of, and and each and every one of these pieces of legislation and. Quite frankly, the debt ceiling package that we put together in the House that we passed as as Republicans until Kevin McCarthy went in and unilaterally struck his deal with Joe Biden, blowing that completely out of the way. The rest of those pieces of legislation went over to the Senate to die a slow, cold, lonely death. And, and that is where another loud voice – Another committed conservative in the body of the Senate will have huge impact. So I talk to my family. I talk to the people across the state, and and they recognize that. They see that in the House, a small group of committed individuals were able to make massive changes, not only to policy, because all those policies that I just described, the only, the, the only reason that that happened is because we worked so hard and with with the rest of the uh, conference, the rest of the Republicans to say, this is where the country is. Yeah. And so you guys need to come over here to where the country is. And my closest allies in the House say, we need you up in the Senate, Matt, so that we can start getting this stuff across the finish line. Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Ron Johnson, Ted Cruz, they're <laughs> up in the Senate. Have and they officially uh, endorsed two, you? Two of the guys already have officially endorsed yeah. me. I, I meet with them every Wednesday night. Rick Scott, okay, he's the only senator that had the cojones to stand up and challenge Mitch McConnell for the the Republican leader's uh, position, okay? Those guys say, we want you up here to help us because we get one more strong vote. Now you're one in 100 to help us move this agenda along instead of one in 435. And, and, and you consider all of that, and then I go back to my family and say, this is going to be a major battle because Mitch McConnell, the dirty little secret is he doesn't play nice, okay? He plays to win. Mm-hmm. And, and he and the Senate committee have called up my staff to try and get them to leave me. They have called up my vendors that you know provide my printing and my te- you know commercials and stuff and try to get them to leave me and have called up my contributors and tried to get them to leave me so it's absolutely you know a a, a very uh, out front and visible uh, war that they have waged with me because Mitch McConnell somehow he got the impression I probably wasn't going to take orders from him. <laughs> I. I I think it leaked out, Tom. I I think the cat's out of the bag. 
Uh, Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale, again, Senate uh, candidate as well, just announced here over the weekend uh, with uh, the Republicans meeting in Helena for an annual meeting there as well. Well, let's let's get to some of those those questions that are that are that are right off the top for you. Sure. Um, they say Matt Rosendale can't beat John Tester. Well, uh, I don't like polls. I truly don't. Um, I think that the polling uh, companies have not yet perfected how to um, model questions for people going forward any longer because you have landlines, you have so many people that are using cell phones and all. And, They're struggling. And so so I, I don't spend a lot of money on polling. I truly don't. Uh, but that being said, polling shows me five points up on John, and I've maintained that for a year. John's a nice guy. I get along with John. We have Montana coffee on Wednesday mornings. You know about that. Everybody that's in, in D.C. from Montana, we get together, we have coffee, and you can have very casual conversation. I, I get along with John, but John doesn't vote good. And, and finally, after 18 years of, of serving in the Senate, people recognize John and identify John as a liberal. They get along with him, don't mind you know having a beer with John, but he is a liberal. And, and now they have seen my voting record. They have seen my tenacity, if you will, how hard I fight against who's ever in the way, whether it's leadership, whether it's the administration. If it's a good idea, I'm going to support it. If it's not, then I'm going to fight with every being, okay, every every ounce of my, my being uh, against it. And so uh, when you look at that, and then since 2018, I was elected statewide in 2020 with a larger margin than any other candidate that was running on a statewide ballot, larger margin. And then in 22 for my reelection, while I didn't have the entire state, 41 counties, won all 41 counties, including three that typically go Democrat because we have reservations and that's a reality mm-hmm. that, that I won even those. And I won by 35 points in the last election cycle, Tom, and I never ran a television commercial. And I, I like that answer because, um, you know, I believe candidates have to take the gloves off uh, to a certain degree. Uh, just because you owe it to your supporters uh, who are, are backing you, I think, to, to you know, give it all you got. Right. Um, but but in doing that, uh, you're trying to uh, – you're going to agree with a lot of things, I think, with your primary uh, opponent, so to speak. Here's, here's, here's the one thing I think you need to focus on, and I have always said this since I was elected to the legislature in, in, in 2010, okay? If you focus on the policies and not personalities – then, then you're always going to be on solid ground. You might ruffle some feathers. You might, you know, upset somebody for a day or so. But I have always been able to walk in and focus on the issues and stay on policy and, and don't let it get personal. And if you do that, then I've always been able to maintain relationships with everybody. I've got uh, the phones are lined up here. We're going to go to those here, too. But I've got just a few questions I want to roll through, uh, you sure. know, just to kind of address the some of those tougher issues that you're facing. Uh, you talked uh, already about the, the, the good of the party thing. What about... When you look at the need to kind of maybe fund, well, there's two questions. Fundraising for mm-hmm. me, it's out of control. Uh, uh, and then, and then the other one is, um, where do you pick up votes outside of the primary? Where do you pick up more general election votes? Okay, yeah. I, I'm going to start right there first. Uh, I have been really stunned at the uh, people that have called me and contacted me that are known Democrats across the state of Montana that say, Matt, we're, we're supporting you. We, we are supporting you. We are glad that you are getting into this race because obviously they don't always agree with me. But I will say that the vast majority of the Democrats in Montana are, are d- dramatically different than the vast majority of the Democrats that are in California yeah. or Seattle. OK, 
They're they're our guys that are uh, the ones that are losing out because of the industries that have been shut down. And they've recognized that our forestry and our mining and our manufacturing, okay, uh, has been hurt because of the policies of the Democrat Party. When we see our energy production uh, getting getting um, reduced um, and, and the cost of energy going up yeah. because we're relying on the renewables. So the, the number of Democrats that have come out and, and encouraged me um, is heartfelt, I will tell you. Uh, the Libertarians, Tom, you know I've got a strong relationship with them. The Libertarian Party has been very supportive of me over the last couple of years. They see that uh, I've taken very strong positions as far as keeping us out of foreign conflicts. They see that I have taken very strong positions as far as keeping our spending under control, trying to get to where we have a balanced budget like the, the you know, state of Montana does. And so I've been able to draw from those, from those groups as well. And, you know, that that's that's where you end up getting the, you know, the extra support. Yeah. And it uh, it encourages you as well. Uh, it does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Matt, I appreciate you being in studio here. And I know uh, the, the the work it takes and, and I know you, the staff that it takes uh, to, to get all this stuff done. And so uh, thank you for that. Thank you for, for uh, throwing your hat in the ring and, and being a part of public service. I got a ton of questions here. I want to talk about some national issues as well, but let's go to the phones. Brenda's listening in Kalispell on KOFI, 1180 AM. What a monster stick that is, 104.3 FM. And good morning, Brenda. You're on the air here on Voices. Hey there. I'd just like to say, hey, um, I actually run Montana First News. I'm a huge fan of Matt Rosendale. I try to write articles promoting him and coming against the D.C. Montana Rhino Swamp which is Greg, Danes, Zinke, and Sheehy. And I just wanted to say real quick, because I've watched it super closely, and I've lived here 50 years, watching Zinke and Al, watching Ingrid Gustafson and Brown, what really came down to winning in the last of it, in the last three days in the primary and the whole thing, were commercials and mailers, because there's a lot of Montanas that stay home. Here, here's my thought, and this is very, very important. Sheehy is a liberal. We need to paint him that way. Sure, he's Second Amendment. Sure, he's pro-life, but he's very much and was in the diversity, equity, inclusion, climate change. His website got scrubbed, asked to be scrubbed. They went and it scrubbed. It took all that down. Danes, Zinke, all of them, Greg Gianforte, when they got this boy in there as a pawn. So my suggestion, since I've watched how these things roll in the last three days, is for you, Matt, to go in hard with mailers. Radio is huge. Commercials are big time. What I will tell you is that it's really important for people to look at, at what people do and not, and not just worry about what they say because we've all seen folks come out and make all kinds of promises and proclamations. You can, you can literally you know, stand and make a speech <laughs> – most people except for Joe Biden, okay, <laughs> and then manage to get yourself off of the stage. But but look at what people do, and, and that is really what it counts. So when when Russia first invaded Ukraine, for example, I mean let's let's cut straight to the to the issues mm-hmm. as as we like to do. Uh, I came out and said, look, Ukraine is having a border problem with Russia. There's no doubt about it. Um, they've had this conflict bubbling for quite some time. Ukraine is not part of of NATO. We have our own border that is wide open. I don't believe that we should be sending additional aid to Ukraine, nor do I now. 
But early on, we should be should not be sending additional aid to Ukraine while our own border is wide open. And meanwhile, he puts in writing, Mr. Sheehy, that we should not only be sending planes, bombs, and bullets, but we should be sending American troops to Ukraine. Okay, this is this is and by and by now, okay, he has come over to my side. He has come over to my way of thinking. But when you are casting a vote in Congress, and my gosh, Senate, you'd have six years where all of a sudden you wouldn't be able to say, ah, golly day, maybe we should change. Maybe it wasn't such a good idea sending someone up there that does not have any voting record whatsoever. Discernment and, and having those core principles about what is the role of the federal government, what is what is our role globally, what kind of obligations do we have, that's really important stuff. And, and, and so you start looking at that. Uh, the ESG issue, to me, is, is another huge thing that we are facing uh, when it comes to our economy, when it comes to our national security. Because the environmental social governance standards that the SEC um, is trying to impose on insurance companies and on investors is literally shutting down our energy development. It is it is not just shutting down our energy development when it comes to coal and oil and gas and things like that, but they're using those standards that are keeping insurance companies and investment firms from being able to um, invest in these types of operations. Yep. And, and it's causing our agricultural community problems because guess what? Our fertilizer is coming from, from gas, okay? Natural gas. Uh, the, the, Diesel fuel that we need to run our tractors up and down the fields, you know, they are causing problems in that. And and the the reality is that Mr. Sheehy floated a bond out there for hundreds of millions of dollars when he took his company public and said, this is the strongest ESG-backed firm, you know, recognized firm of investment in the country right now. And, and, and – he was battling climate change. That's what, in his words, battling climate change, fighting the forest fires in our national forests, where he's getting 97% of his revenue from the federal government. And that battle with climate change, he said, is only being addressed by one governor, and that's Gavin Newsom. And he said he's the only governor in the country that's doing anything about it. I, I, have, I have real polls for concern. Now, has his ideas changed? Maybe, but when you have your initial discernment. Anyone who served in the legislature knows when the when the legislation comes out, you don't get a do-over. You you have that one chance to place a vote on it. And when you're dealing in the United States House of Representatives or the United States Senate, the magnitude and the impact of that decision is not just here in Montana. It's not just here in the United States. It literally has global impact, and, and we have to make sure that who's ever casting those votes and making those decisions has the discernment to say, is this the role of government, number one, and, and, and should we be doing it, and how is it going to impact our national debt? From towns in Montana, listening uh, to uh, Signal Out of Helena, KCAP, 950 AM, and Ed, you're on the air with Matt Rosendale. Good morning, Congressman and Tom. Um, Congressman, because your primary opponent owns an aerial firefighting company that is 90% dependent on federal government contracts, wouldn't he have to recuse himself from most of the important votes dealing with the Forest Service and the Interior Department 
And isn't federal land use policy too important to Montana to have one of our senators be sidelined? Ed, that is a valid point. Uh, It's interesting. I spoke with Bloomberg uh, this morning, and they were talking about all of the financial um, impact of the decisions that we make and the contributions that we receive. I came out today and said, hey, I'm not accepting any uh, corporate PAC money, contributions from corporate interests. And and the and the question that you raise goes directly to to the heart of that. Are we go, you know is he going to recuse himself from casting votes on um, any of these issues, Ed? That you know that are he he would financially be benefiting from, and if so, if so, and he has said he's not going to recuse himself, and so all of a sudden you have this huge impact. Uh, implication of a conflict when 90%, 97% of your revenue is coming from the federal government. If you don't recuse yourself from those votes, that's a, if it's not a conflict, okay, it, it certainly is a perceived conflict. And if you do recuse yourself with 37, 38% of our, our lands being federal forests, you know, that doesn't include any of the parks or, or any of the, uh, uh, school trust lands or anything, just just the, the federal public lands. It's like 38% across yeah. the state. How can you not not participate in the governance of the very lands that are located within our state? I, I don't see how you can do it. Ed, thanks for the phone call. I appreciate that. Again, Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale is with us here in studio. Uh, committee assignments, Veterans Affairs, also Natural Resources. He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, the Congressional Western Caucus, the Border Security Caucus, caucus all those things uh, um, I, I've got on our plate to talk about here. But we got phone calls lining up. Let's go right to the phones here. I, I got a few things. Maybe I'll finish up with some stuff here. That, that, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Let's Ruth, get the folks on the line. Ruth, listening in Helena, thank you so much for standing by to KCAP 950 AM. Great signal there. You're on with Matt Rosendale. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, Congressman, thank you so much for stepping up. Um, it was a privilege to be at the event this weekend and hear your your speech and to see the overwhelming support of you was just uh, inspiring. Uh, my question, uh, knowing that you've been in the Montana State Legislate, Legislature prior to uh, being on the national level, my concern, one of my first concerns with um, Tim Sheehy was that he has none and taking a, uh, trying to get a position in the Senate with no experience in legislative activity um, just leaves me incredibly concerned. So it's um, heartwarming to know that you, being such an ethical person and standing for what you said with your vote in the, in the House, um, I appreciate it, that, Ruth. Gives me all the support for you. Listen, so, I really appreciate that. I, I, here, I, I'm going to tell everybody a story. So here's here's the kind of pressure that gets applied upon you um, when when you're there serving. So when we went through the speakers battle in January of last year, uh, as I've told everybody, that was more about reforming Congress. We continue here. Congress is broke. Washington is broke, right? And, and that was more about reforming Congress, restoring regular order, 
the rules that we wanted to get implemented so that all of that power wasn't consolidated into the hands of like 13 people and that it, we, we could get back to having 72 hours to consider legislation, that we could return to the same type of rules that they had previously that the Montana legislature enjoys, which says one bill, one subject. This stuff, it's not too much to ask. It's that. not too much to ask. Yeah. Okay, But here's the other deal. If you don't have someone in the speaker's position that respects these new rules that's going to walk down onto the floor and just suspend them, Unfortunately, you've got a lot of the members, 140 to 150. It's amazing to me that in the Republican Party that will just fall in line like sheep and, and, and vote to suspend the very rules that we fought to, to, to restore Congress with and, and, and allow stuff to get passed with, you know, with, without any of those being in place. And so this was such a big deal. Kevin McCarthy invited me to his office. We were fighting, and he, 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 he actually invited me to his office in December. So it was before the January vote. And he sat me down and said, what do you want? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you, I, I know that you don't like me, man. I said, Kevin, it, it's nothing about not liking personal. you or not liking you. Yeah, I'd invite you to you know, dinner tomorrow night. I don't have a problem with that. I just don't want you as speaker. And he goes, what can, quote, what can I give you to get your vote? Can I help you in your next election? Can I put you on a committee? And this is the kind of things that get offered to people on a regular basis up there. And I said, Kevin, you've got nothing I want and you've got nothing I need. I was sent up here to produce good government for the people of Montana. And and, and so the, the, the pressure that they place upon these individual members to – Give them things that, quite frankly, aren't theirs to give, okay? It's the taxpayers that are eventually footing the bill for all of this. And some people place a high priority on returning because they've never been so handsome. They've never been so smart in their entire lives as when they show up in Washington and the lobbyists start fawning over them. Or they want to be a committee chair. Or they want to have a, a, you know, a bill passed that has their name on it so that they can say, my gosh, I was able to get this done. And, and they continue to have a disregard for the people that they represent. And, and so I have always said that I'm going to do what I promised I was going to do. And, and as a matter of fact, one of the highest compliments that I've ever had came from the political science professor there in Helena at Carroll College. And this was about a year, year and a half ago. He said, Matt Rosendale's problem, he identified it as a problem, <laughs> is he votes his convictions without any regard for the political fallout. And I said, thank you very much. Like that one. Let's go to Circle. And Jerry is listening. KDZN, a big signal out of Glendive, Montana, 96.5 FM. And Jerry, you're on the air here on Voices with Congressman Matt Rosendale. Well, good morning, Tom and Matt and Montana. It's uh, been a great program so far, and I'd just like to add that I was also in the in Helena this last weekend for the Republican Winter Kickoff, and Matt received two uh, rousing standing ovations because Montanans from all across the state appreciate how he stood up for Montana, stood up for traditional American values, keep Amer- make America great again, 
um, protect our borders and get our country back on a sound financial footing. And I think people from across the state recognize that the people behind his opponent here in the, in the primary, Tim Sheehy, um, are big government, endless war people. And that is not what we need in the United States Senate. We need a fighter like Matt that won't lay down even if he would be in the minority he stands up and fights for what's right. And uh, so thank God uh, for Matt. And I'm just so uh, pleased that he is in the race. And I would just point out one other thing that uh, Matt pointed out, that serving in the Montana legislature, we have a lot of great veterans, a lot of great uh, retired military people. And some of them are really good votes in the legislature, and some of them are not. So unless you have a record, a candidate can say anything they want to say. But it's when you start pushing the buttons, as Matt has done, that we know who you are and what you will do. So thanks, Matt, and uh, we're we're behind you 100%. Jerry, I appreciate that. Um, I think uh, I recognize this voice. Uh, let's. Let, you mind uh, Representative Jerry Schillinger, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for calling in as well. And. And, and the work you do in that public circle as well. Yeah. So I and I appreciate that, Jerry. And that's what I always say. It's you know, it's it's very difficult to place that kind of an investment, if you will, uh, a long term investment in someone when you don't know what what a voting record is going to look like. One of the things that that I continue to harp on did it in the state legislature. Okay, did it when I was the insurance commissioner. We have to reduce our spending. And, and when I had complete control over the levers of power, as they say, and I was the auditor, I was able to reduce the spending in the auditor's office by 23%, yeah. not just the increase. And, and so right now, the fiscal situation and our southern border situation are the two biggest issues that we truly are, are facing as a nation. And we've talked about the southern border and the things that we can do. We can do right now to, to help secure that and seal it back up. But the financial situation is much more difficult. And, I I mean, I've worked with Andy Biggs. We proposed 500 separate amendments to reduce the spending. But 85% of those, Tom, were killed by Republicans. 85% of the reductions in spending that we brought forward, and some of them were millions, and some of them were actually billions. You know, they were actually getting into real money, right? Billions. Uh, <laughs> but it was stuff like the Michelle Obama walking trail down in Georgia. I mean, these people have, have some crazy ideas of where the money's going to go. And, and here's the, the harsh reality of it. Right now, the federal government is spending about $7 trillion a year. Okay? In 2019, they were at 5.1. 5.1 .1 in 2019. So pre-COVID, we were at 5.1 trillion a year. In 2019, our revenue was about four trillion dollars a year. So we were still running about a trillion dollar national uh, uh, structural deficit yep. every year. This year, we're going to collect close to five trillion dollars in revenue. If we would just freeze our spending at 2019 levels, we would almost have a balanced budget. Now, I don't know about you, but everybody that I talk to says, I think we had enough government in 2019. I've yet to have anybody come up to me and say, you know, Matt, I, I was looking at the record books and, and I just don't think we had enough federal government in 2019. I haven't met that person yet. So so if we could get to there, but but we're not there. So where we are is they're going to spend $7 trillion. We're going to bring in about $5 trillion. 
That gap is $2 trillion that will immediately get added to the national debt, not including just about $1 trillion it's going to take to pay the interest on servicing the national debt now. So now we're at $3 trillion that we will add to the national debt every year. And there's no forecast or projection that shows that we've got a curb in that, okay, because Congress isn't doing its job. And and so $3 trillion a year additional on to the 34 in five short years. Look, I remember Ron Paul, okay? I remember Phil Graham from Texas, Graham Rubinack, trying to get spending under control back in the 90s. Back in the 80s, we were trying to deal with this stuff. The 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 national debt in in the 80s was like $1.7 trillion. We're, we're, we're putting, adding more to the national debt, double that every year now. So in five years, we'll be at $50 trillion of national debt. It will consume 50% of the total revenue that the federal government collects. If we can't get ends to meet now by, by spending $1 trillion on interest a year, if we're taking 50% of it, we're going to have a massive, massive problem. Train is definitely headed over the cliff and, and when it comes to spending in that regard. Um, and we can't look. Yeah. Half measures and timidity is not going to resolve this. Yeah. Sitting around the room saying we've got to take just some little measures isn't going to resolve this. We have to be bold. And, and, and so we're looking at discretionary funding. You've got discretionary and mandatory. Mandatory is on autopilot, Social Security, yep. Medicare, Medicaid, and, you know, and, and veterans benefits. That's all on, on autopilot. We're dealing with somewhere between 1.6 and $1.7 trillion a year is really what, what Congress works with if they did their job properly with the 12 appropriation bills instead of passing continuing resolutions and omnibuses. So think about that. If we eliminated 100% of the discretionary spending at $1.6, 1700000000000000 we would still be running a $1.3 trillion a year structural deficit. It's out of control. And then I'm going to take one more phone call with uh, Mr. Miller. It's, lo- uh, it's noted here. I get a feeling I know who this is listening in Laurel, Montana. Uh, good morning, Mr. Miller. How are you? Hey, Tom, it's Ken and Peggy Miller. Yeah. We're somewhere north of Idaho Falls. But, yeah, we're from Laurel, and we're just finishing up a long 5,000-mile trip for promoting the Earthbuster Draining the Swamp Nationwide. <laughs> I love it. you got you got like 30 seconds, hey, Ken, and thank you for hey, calling. Yeah, Thanks. Real, real quick, if McConnell's pick wants to prove himself to be a constitutional conservative, he needs to run for the legislature, step down from the Senate race, and prove himself like Matt did. It's that simple. Unless he thinks he's too good to be a legislator, and then that tells it all. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate that. There is an awful lot to say about, uh, you know, being an insider is bad. Being an outsider can be difficult as well. But, uh, but when you're in that seat, you are a legislator. Yeah, I will tell you that my time in the Montana legislature was an incredibly positive experience and education. When I went to orientation uh, for the United States Congress in January of 21, actually they had held orientation in December, November, December of uh 20. There were 68. We had a large class coming in. 
And it was fascinating to watch what was going on. It was fascinating. So you see all the people that come up that want to be personalities. And they're always standing at the microphone blasting off about something that they may or may not know anything about. But you see the folks that are completely lost. And, and the people that were completely lost were the ones that never participated in a legislative body. They were highly successful business people. They were effective, but they had never uh, participated in, in the um, in the process before. And then there was the folks that, that had been in the body, in a legislative body, and you just sort of sit back and start gauging everybody. Okay, who's going to be on the team? Who's, who's people that we're going to be able to work with? Who's people that we're going to be able to bring in and, and, and form these alliances with? Good luck. Uh, um, and, and be safe on the trail, too, all right? Uh, that's the most important thing. When you're out here traveling around this time of year, you know, keep, keep the rubber on the road. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. Please share and subscribe and let us know what you think. Email me at tom at voicesofmontana.com. And don't forget, we're on weekdays on your hometown radio stations all across Montana. We hope to hear from you there, too.